You're listening to the Synergy Leadership Podcast, a discussion with engaging, empowering, and enlightening leaders about the greatest competitive advantage in business and entrepreneurship that often goes unrecognized, a team's energy. Here's your host, the woman who puts the energy in Synergy, Karen R. Jenkins. Hello, and thank you for joining us for our Synergy Leadership Podcast. I am so excited to have a wonderful guest today, and you are in store for some great information. Ron Carucci is a pre- is creating transformational change through Synergy Leadership. Ron, I'm not even going to take time to go about this. I want them to hear as much as they can from you. So if you don't mind, could you introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you, Karen. So thanks for having me. <clears throat> I am. So I'm a, a managing partner and a co-founder of a firm called Navalent. And we've been around 17 years now. And we are uh, spend our days accompanying leaders of all kinds on messy journeys of transformation. You know, whether they're in a ditch and have to get out or they're trying to aspire to some greater, greater level of reach and impact in the world we get the privilege of, of joining them and constructing that journey. And that transformation involves transforming them and transforming the, the relationships and people with whom they work and then transforming their whole systems and organizations. So it's a, it's a privileged work. It's hard work. Uh, but we, um, we recognize that every day when you get up and get to leave the world better than you found it, it's, it's a good day. When I'm not doing that work, um, I, I tend to, I write a lot. That's how I learn. Some of a frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review and uh, at Forbes. Um, I just written my ninth book, uh, and uh, for me, it's a way of learning. When I I face a challenge or a problem, or my client asks me a question I don't have an answer to, um, I that's how I go and learn. So it's uh that's that's me. Awesome, and thank you so much for being that type of individual that wants to share, that wants to share your experiences. Mm-hmm. Your books and wants to help others grow and enlighten. Everybody doesn't feel that way. I find some people are in a position where they think this is a zero sum game and they want to yeah. hold and hold all the information. So we're very blessed to have you here. So when we talk about transformational leadership, you clearly are an expert helping organizations identify, in a lot of cases, why high performing leaders may not particularly be successful. There are a lot of people out there that might fit into that area. Are there any trends you've seen amongst these leaders as to why they aren't particularly performing well? And then after that, share with us what advice you would suggest if you, you know a little bit about why they aren't doing that, what, what would help them transform and excel? You know, gosh, there are so many pathways to lead to not being the best version of yourself or not managing, uh, it might be a good steward of your own talents and skills and being the, the best you can. <clears throat> I find a lot of times there's a painful mismatch between context and aspiration, the things that I want to accomplish in the context and what the needs of the context or my environment are. And so whether it's a, a misaligned cultural values or misaligned skills to, to a strategic need, or um, just a disconnect between how I show up in the world and what the culture will tolerate. Um, and I see that both in um, differences in roles, differences in skill sets, differences in, in identity. Uh, and so it's, I mean, we, we, 
sometimes we just make bad choices in our career. And sometimes our organizations are just are inhospitable and not very inclusive. Um, and the problem is many, many talented people will languish in those environments for years, even decades, before they wake up and realize they've been on a conveyor belt and just on autopilot. So my encouragement for those leaders is to, is to always do a regular career checkup every year and say, am I living my values? Am I becoming better? Am I learning? Is my impact what I want it to be? Do I have a sense of meaning and purpose in the world that I'm proud of and, I, and a story that I want to tell? Um, or are you just marking time because you have bills to pay, a mortgage to pay, kids to raise, and you know, you're just in that uh, on cruise control? Because I think we take for granted what that's going to do to our mental health when we wake up and we're 48 years old and suddenly realizing this was, what was this, what it was all for? So <clears throat> I think that's the, that, that misalignment is the first thing I'd see. Secondly, I think a lot of times, many very talented leaders who have early success in their career take for granted how far that success will carry them. And they assume that all I have is all I need and they can go far in personality or go far on, you know, the two or three bags of tricks they pull from. And then suddenly they're irrelevant or they're obsolete or suddenly somebody has shown up in a way that's more appealing or more impacting and they have to, they, their imposter syndrome becomes what they lead with. And it's no longer that they feel inadequate. They really are obsolescing and they don't know what to do. And so I think because you're high performing, because you have unique levels of talent, being a good steward of that means you're always cultivating it. You're not resting on your laurels. You're not um, trying to get by on those things, especially if you're in an environment where you just get out, where your talents are quite more pronounced. Um, all the more reason why, not in a competitive or demeaning way to others, but in a way that says, I want to set an example that others want to follow. And in humility, recognize that all I know isn't all there is to know. And I can make even a good portfolio of talent even stronger. That's awesome. So one thing you said that, that spoke to me or, or stuck out for me is that sometimes it's a misalignment of culture and values. So as part of our synergy leadership and, and our synergy leadership model is really defining synergy leadership as the ability to leverage the team's energy to create results, adapt to change and make a difference. But that has to begin with the person. And one of the things that I've discovered even working with my clients and working with my team is that people have core values, but they don't have them defined. So you would go up to somebody on the street and say, hey, tell me what your core values are. They could not name them because although those are the leading characters or characteristics that help them make decisions and make moves in their lives, they haven't sat down long enough to figure out what they actually are. So in your experience, especially as you go back to the misalignment of, of culture, what I found is that some people really do have that. And when they realize that their cultural, or I'm not even culture, their core values don't necessarily align with the core values of their management team or the, the team in general or the business, that it does cause conflicts and they can't always figure out why. Yep. So what has been your experience in helping people identify their and helping them align to who they truly are? You don't have to mirror the core value of the organization, but you definitely need to align with it. You know, so what I, whenever I see leaders, Karen, that um, clearly are ill at ease in the environment they're in, um, where there's a set of behaviors that they're trying to not succumb to. Um, I'll invite them to a question of, 
or conversation of purpose, a conversation around agency in the world and why it is they feel they're here. And when they wake up in the morning, are they excited to come to work and do they feel proud? And when they go home at night, do they feel satisfied or drained? And just begin to put them in touch with signals that should be telling them something's amiss. Um, I can always see it in the times they choose to talk during meetings or the time they choose to share their voice and when they choose to remain silent. Those are always often key signals that tell me um, something is disconnected. And I think that, you know, what I'll often start with by saying is I observe the following things from you that tells me you value humility or that makes me wonder what unique premium you place on courage. And it gets them to say, well, I never th thought about that, but, but yes, I do. That is important to me. And then I can say, what other things would you want me to see in you? And what should I be interpreting from that? And so when I, I put them in my shoes, it's easy for them to narrate their own behaviors and the subsequent values that drive them rather than a full, you know, frontal conversation of what are your values, which people don't typically codify um, to their own peril often. And then we can begin to discuss, okay, so these are the things that are important to you. Where do you see these show up in the, in the environment and, and, or where do you see the contradictions show up and how do you deal with the dissonance? So that we can begin to assess, is the dissonance tolerable or is it, is it causing you to become less of yourself? Are you hiding yourself? Are you editing yourself? Um, and uh, if so, do we, have, do we need to have a different conversation about your career? And I've had to have some hard conversations with some of our clients or the client team members that, you know, the people that come to work miserable every day. And every team that I've spoken to, I said, you, you guys have somebody that you know that goes to work every single day. I refuse to go to work miserable every day. I mean, and that's a, a point of individual choice that I'd have to say, well, let me move and move myself in the environment. I can't necessarily control the environment, but I can control myself. So I think I love the advice that you give and, and some of the cues that I think just because we're human, we get so in our day-to-day -day lives that we, we don't, I don't say acknowledge, we don't recognize that every day we're getting up and we're miserable when we go. You know, every day we get up and, you know, we wake up excited about going or, we come home and, and we're drained every day. You know, is that because you work really hard or because you're emotionally stressed because you're out of alignment and you're just in, in, that, in that good spot? So those are some very good tips that you should discuss. Going back to your previous answer, another thing that stuck out to me was how leaders can get into that fray of how long will my leadership ability and, and, and where my capability right now how long will that carry me? And I read a book, and I have to find the name of the author, but I read a book years ago called The Looking Mentality. And it was really a book that talked about how when we first start out, we have that working mentality, we're questioning things, we're kicking the wheels, we're taking the risk, we're doing things that are working with you. And that leads to a lot of growth and discovery. Sometimes it's the hard way, but we're doing it without the advance of knowledge. But then when we get to level of, you know, executive level management, C-suite, we stop having the working mentality. You don't have to because we have the blessing of the knowledge now. Yep. What have you seen in that arena as far as how important it is to step out of our current day-to-day -day mantra, mundane processes as leaders and try to put on that working mentality cape from time to time? 
most leaders today, especially you know, certainly after the last two years, right, where we, the level of unprecedented disruption a- every day should put you on your heels. I mean, nothing in anybody's playbook prepared them for this. So if you weren't learning, if you were reaching back for tried and true tricks, you probably didn't fare well, very well in the last couple of years. I often push my leaders whenever we're doing strategy work or doing work that's defining a next phase or next chapter of an organization's life or of their career. Um, by default, I'm defining a gap. I'm defining a place where they haven't yet leaned into. Certainly, I want leaders to play to their strengths. I want leaders to shine and have the chance to, because when they're shining, they, they can then broaden that spotlight and create other opportunities for other people to shine. And that is primarily what they should be doing. But one of the examples they have to set is of skin, how they deal with a skin knee. How do they make, deal with their own mistakes? How do they deal with their own fallibility? People have to know that you know you don't know everything. But many executives feel like their job is to be the answer ATM and dispense wisdom and knowledge. And they don't realize that when you're the smartest kid in the class and people come to, believe, come to be conditioned by that, they stop learning and rely too heavily on you. Your job is to make everyone else the smartest kid in the class when you've arrived in the C-suite. Your job is to, let, to make sure people around you are smarter than you. Right. And that you're modeling for them your open-mindedness, your willingness to have your mind changed, your curiosity to learn more, your willingness to double-click on a point and say, let's unpack that a little bit, rather than having dueling dialogues or dueling monologues where you're just exchanging, you're going tit for tat on point for point. Um, Everybody knows you're smart. That's why you're in the job you got. There's no need to keep proving it. Uh, so I'm always pushing leaders to ask more questions than they have answers, to recognize that some disruption around the corner, some inevitable setback, some moment in their competitive set in their marketplace from a customer that they lean too heavily on for most of their profitability is going to change. Um, sometimes you can foresee it. Um, sometimes you could have foreseen it, but you weren't paying attention. And sometimes you're blindsided. But regardless of how it shows up, there's going to be a moment that's going to invite you to the edge of your potential, to the limits of your capability. And if you don't know what to do in that moment, all you do is reach back for the the tricks you know. Um, know, As Marshall Goldsman said, what got you here won't get you there. If you don't know what to do in that moment, people are going to look to you frozen and they're going to panic. So your ability to say... I don't know what to do right now, and it's okay that I don't know, but together we're going to figure it out. Um, it's a wonderful place when conditions, you know, put headwinds in your face uh, that, you didn't see, that you didn't see coming or that you haven't faced before. So true, so true. And, you know, and now talking about our challenges that we're still facing with the COVID crisis, and who knew, you know, we're in our third year now. Of, of this crisis. And what, I, what I've shared with people in the past is that for every crisis that we have faced, it is the moment in time that everything was normal, the crisis occurred, and then we went through it and we began to heal. So if you look at 9-11, if you look at the financial crisis of 2008, if you look at other you know critical things that individually have happened in our lives, we've always had that happen it stopped and we healed. This is still going. And one of the things I, I think um, Simon, what is Simon's last name? Simon, I can't remember his last name. Um, I'm going for a second. 
but he had a, a, a talk where he discussed how as a country, as a nation, as a world, that we have all gone through a, a tragedy. We have all gone through, um, this, is, this, is, this is PTSD for us, whether we recognize it or, or not. We're, we're still in post-traumatic stress, but we're still in it. And yep. then is, as leaders, how are we recognizing one that we're in that and just kind of live up to it? And then how are we going to be there for our teammates? And I love what you just shared because a lot of what you just shared are the steps that we have to take to show our vulnerability to our teammates and to let them know that we don't know all the answers, but it's okay because I figure we're resourceful as a group will make it through. But what have you seen along the lines of the impact that some of the leaders that you have worked with have had um, from this COVID crisis, actually? Well, I think, you know, the, the, in, the, in the places where people have discovered greater, greater reserves of compassion and empathy, um, they've fared well. You know, if the culture was already a culture of solidarity, um, what I mean by that is a culture of purpose and belonging. You know, the, the two fundamental questions people come to the world looking to answer are, um, do I belong and do I matter? Mm-hmm. And it's a leader's job to make sure that, leaders, that people never wonder about the answers to those questions. Right. That those are, those are settled and resolved before they even show up to work so that they can devote the rest of their capacity to doing their job. But if people are doubtful about the answer to those questions, they will spend all their capacity ensuring that they feel that they belong and looking like, and, and that they matter. And the worst um, counterfeit of mattering is making sure I look like I matter. Mm-hmm. And that's a dangerous game to play, but that's where people will go. So the leaders who invited people to a broader table, even in remote environments, who set a, set a place for vulnerability, who recognize that every day I'm now in your living room, in your kitchen, in your dining room, in your bedroom. You know, your personal life is not relevant to me. Right. Um, and, and knew how to participate in that and um, be compassionate and, and actually show care for those people when they needed help. They sent DoorDash you know, cards home. They sent childcare help. They were flexible in timing. They checked in before they checked on. They didn't suddenly try to exert extra control because people were out of their visibility. They just trusted people. Um, they shared their own struggles. They didn't try to answer unanswerable questions, but showed compassion in an honest response of, here's the question I hear below your question. And, and were sensitive and caring in how they drew out the real need that people weren't able to express. They, those leaders did great. The leaders who you know, donned the persona of you know, impenetrability, don the persona of I'm all that in a bag of chips or were so insecure that they overcompensated with a great veneer of overconfidence didn't fare well because people didn't, people never believed them, but they didn't, there was no reason to panic over that. But now when we're all in this, you know, unprecedented level of disruption and turbulence and you're busy trying to impress me and all I want to know is are we going to make it? Um, you're veneer of confidence just makes me panic even more. Those leaders didn't fare so well. Uh, so I, I think if you were not already in touch with your humanity, if you were not already in touch with um, how to be your authentic self, um, warts and all, and how to 
talk plainly and openly about those warts before somebody else had to point them out. Uh, you were the leader that garnered far more regard and credibility than the leader who had to present an image of being perfect. So, and, and I think you hit a lot of these points, but I want to go back to this one more time just to make sure there isn't any other, there aren't any other tips that you'd like to share. So one of the biggest concerns for organizations right now is the rising turnover rates and the costs associated with it. And we have seen, especially since this COVID crisis, that retention is one of the hugest issues that, that businesses and managements are facing. And one of your blog posts, you identified four integrated needs of people to ensure they're not only invested in staying with the company, but they're actually thriving. Would you mind sharing with us the, these specific needs and, and how you think they can improve not only retention, but the overall culture of the organization? If there's so I don't know that I know which blog post you're referring to. <laughs> uh, um, but, uh, you know, I, so I'll, I'll riff, I may get them all wrong. But um, when I think about the answer back, is it from our website or is it from HBR or Forbes or? I want to say it was probably your website, but I'll, I'll go back and look. Okay. In essence, um, when I think about people's need to belong, you know, have you have you uh, invited people to shine? Have you invited people to um, talk about what what their purpose is and how they how they contribute? Have you made sure that regardless of how people show up in your organization, what they look like, what they sound like, that they can be successful as anybody else? Or are there privileges for which some roles and people can be more successful than others? And if you haven't leveled the playing field, then people don't trust that they belong. Um, have you made uh, showing care a norm? Have you made, so it's not just you to those you lead, but, they, but your team to each other. Have you made expressing care, expressing concern, um, showing genuine regard for others um, a norm for your team to practice? And when people violate that norm, have you made, that, made it clear that's unacceptable? When people want to matter, have you made opportunities for people to shine? Have you created a stage or a platform for others to use their voice? Um, have, you seen, have you seated center stage so that others can you know, leave their mark on the world and discover the reaches of their own potential and allow the organization to get a glimpse of them? Um, and are you using your voice and your privilege and your authority to allow other people who wouldn't normally get the chance to be visible, um, to be seen by others? Uh, that normally wouldn't know who they are. So th those are uh, our three that come to mind when I think about the great resignation and why people are leaving. Many organizations think it's because they want more flexibility or because they want more money and perks. And that's not it at all. People are leaving because the workplace has become toxic or because they want more meaning and purpose in their life. Um, we just wrote a piece on moral injury. You know, the, the what we, people don't realize is that when people are subjected to do things that, that, wound their conscience, it is a, it is a PT, to your earlier point, it's a, P, it's a trauma response. PTSD is, a, is the fear of our mortality, but moral injury is the fear of our, of our morality. And, you know, we, veterans having to witness atrocities, healthcare workers who can't care for COVID patients, teachers in overcrowded classrooms. But now in the workplace, asking me to meet deadlines I can't meet, asking me to work with under-resourced functions to, to deliver impossible results asking me to watch you, you know, treat other people in demeaning ways. 
um, are, you know, the, the, the gaslighting that you do of people who raise heart issues. These are all wounding, wounding of the soul. And, and so, you know, in, in my latest book, to be on, it's called To Be Honest, you know, we did 15 years of research and talked to more than 3,200 leaders um, about under what conditions will be, people will be fair and tell the truth and serve a greater good. And one of them is that their, mor- their morality is not threatened. Uh, their sense of conscience is honored. Um, they don't have to wonder about what compromises you might make them, you might ask of them. Uh, and if you want to be a leader that's trustworthy, if you want a leader that to be a leader that earns and keeps the trust of those most important stakeholders in your life, there are, the bar is much higher today than it ever was, right? Trust is in a free fall. And so it's no longer enough not to be a liar, you, you have to be somebody who says the right thing, does the right thing, and says and does the right thing for the right reason. Uh, and so, you know, my advice for leaders, if you want to retain employees, make sure you're credible and they can, they can trust you. Mm. That is phenomenal advice. And I know our listeners will put that information to good use. As we get ready to come to a close, I'll... I'll, I'll, I'll Wind us down. So of everything you've experienced in your leadership journey, share with us what you're most proud of. Um, you know, I, I mean, if I were going to point to one thing, when I think about the montage that plays in my head, the movie that plays in my head is of the faces of the leaders, you know, for the last, certainly I, you know, I've been at this 30 something years. But the last 17 years with my own firm, you know, I've got the most amazing colleagues that I get to work with every day that, you know, and we love and cherish each other. And that changes the impact that we have. And I think about the organizations and the careers and the people whose lives we have changed, whose trajectories we have set in different course. Um, and I feel enormously grateful and proud and privileged to have been part of those stories um, whose chapters might have been very different had we not joined cross paths. So I think... The first and foremost is that is the body of work uh, and the collection of, of transformed uh, lives we leave, we leave behind. That is awesome. So, and, and we will definitely benefit from all that you and your team have, have put out there and, and gifted the world with. So if you could give a piece of leadership advice to our listeners, what would that advice be? Um. <sighs> Think deeply about your impact on the world. And if you don't know what that is, um, think more deeply. We all have moments of dishonesty. We all have moments where we're we're less than our best selves. And they're not random moments. If I asked you to examine over the last 10 days, a random eight moments where you weren't your best self, where you were snarky to a barista, where you embellished data to your boss, where you withheld a certain piece of data because you didn't want to hurt somebody's feelings or you were afraid of the backlash, um, where you ignored your, your kid at trying to ask you a question. Each of the places in our life that brings us to our less than honest self is not random. We do it for a reason. And if I were to ask you to examine those moments in your life, you would see a pattern. You would see conditions that bring you to your, to your dishonesty and your lack of trustworthiness. Um, and I would ask you to examine what need are you surfing with those choices? What, what need do you feel you're meeting by engineering a certain response or hiding a certain part of you or um, being a certain abrupt way 
because you think you're entitled to. Because if, if you really want to be more trustworthy and therefore more impacting as a leader, you have to first be um, face honestly into the places that bring you to your dishonesty, that bring you to your less than best self. So I would ask you and invite you in a private, safe place to look in that mirror. Hmm. Awesome. That is awesome, which leads me to my next question. And I think you said your most recent book is To Be Honest. Hmm? And if our viewers wanted to reach out to you, how would they go about doing that? Well, there's a couple of ways. So, so come, come to our website, which is navalent, N-A-V-A-L-E-N-T.com. We've got a treasure trove of videos and online courses and white papers and there's some downloadable free eBooks on leading change and transformation and um, that you can enrich your own leadership career with and get to know us better. Um, if you want to learn more about the research for the book, specifically, you can go to tobehonest.net. And we, we did actually did a team. So if you want to meet some of the heroes that I got to meet, to be honest, is a book of heroes. It's the people who are living the lives we'd be proud to emulate. We did a TV series called Moments of Truth. And you can binge watch all 15 episodes um, at the website to, to get the, some of the behind the scenes conversations of the leaders that we'd all love to work for uh, or the thought leaders whose thoughts we'd all love to put into practice. Um, so those are two places. And please follow me on LinkedIn. And uh, do stay in touch. Definitely will. And to our listeners, for the first two listeners who reach out to me via LinkedIn, and I want you to send me a message that says, to be honest, I will gift you to a copy of the book written by our, our guest. And uh, Ron, I'll follow up with you on how to get those. Yeah. And just link up with me on LinkedIn. Um, linked up with Ron on LinkedIn. And like I said, the first two listeners that reach out to me and send me that message, I will gift you a copy of his newest book. So Ron, thank you so much for being with us. I, I just enjoyed this conversation and know that our listeners will get a whole lot of information out of this as well. Karen, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening to the Synergy Leadership Podcast with Karen R. Jenkins. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe, rate, review, and share our show. See you next time.